Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends and how they define the world around us. Well, welcome back to episode 73 of The Department. This is part two of our pair of episodes about kidulting, although Kim is campaigning for it to just be called kidding. Kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. In this episode, you'll learn the brands and companies that are changing their business to meet this new market, and you'll also learn why I am currently being bombarded with ads for wine guzzling teddy bears. It's very <laughs> traumatic and I have been I've been waiting what? for this moment to tell Kim all about it. So oh you'll all get to learn alongside her. Um, so grab yourself a gogurt, put on your strawberry shortcake nightgown, and get ready for more adorable cadulting trend info. But before we jump into that, you know what's coming next. Kim's gonna give you her spiel. Excellent. Just a follow rate review i love the three this. <laughs> so good just so i'm shortening it yep yeah yep. um yeah just make sure to follow rate or view uh the department on any of your preferred streaming services some don't really allow you to um review but you know if they do please do um and also please come over to instagram you can find us um and in all of our glory at underscore the underscore department and if you're looking for show notes and some of the image image references that we are talking about, especially on these past episodes, please visit us at our website. It's the department.world. Yay! The department.world. <laughs> <laughs> we need a theme song like that. And, anyway. Um, well, today we're going to jump back in. And if you recall in the last episode, I was telling you all the reasons from a social perspective why I think that adulting is blowing up right now. Um, we talked about how what it means to be an adult has changed. We're hoping that Gen X and millennials are going to redefine what age is. We talked about how we all need so much comfort from nostalgia. We talked about how we've changed the way we live and where we spend our money, right? Today, we're going to get rolling with my final reason, which I hinted at a lot in the previous episode, which is that anyone who has been a child since the late 70s, which is probably just about everybody listening to this, has had all kinds of characters, brands, and licensed properties sort of branded onto their psyches. (laughs) That's right, everyone. It's hashtag capitalism. And... (laughs) Hashtag capitalism. Hashtag capitalism. I love it. So a lot of our nostalgia, for better or worse, is explicitly drawn from things we saw in movies, on television, and in all of the commercials we watched in between. I mean, we talked in the last episode about how we all 
have lots of McDonald's mm-hmm. memories. <laughs> just so, I mean, I haven't even gotten into all of them, really. That just scratched the surface. I know, I know. What about that weird orange drink that they would serve at birthday parties at McDonald's? What was that stuff? Oh, it was or, like it, orange flavored. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, did yeah, you ever go to a birthday party at McDonald's? Oh, yes, of course. I think I even had my own. I really wanted to have one there. My mom was like, it's stupid. You're not. And I only went to one, but I remember thinking it was a rager. <laughs> I don't know what we did at yes. all. <laughs> That's hilarious. I bet people don't do that anymore. Like, do they have birthday parties at McDonald's? I. I don't know. I, I went to a birthday party at a, a bowling alley, and I think that that's where they go. Like, an actual um, experience. Yeah, that makes sense. So, mm-hmm. in the town I grew up in, we didn't get a McDonald's until I was in sixth grade. But we did have a bowling alley, and it was next to the McDonald's. So, the first ever, like, sort of group date that I was allowed to go on in middle school, which was just, like, boys and girls being allowed to hang out alone. It wasn't, like, dating. Mm-hmm. Uh, We all got dropped off at the bowling alley where, you know, we bowled. And then we got to walk across the parking lot to the McDonald's. And I remember someone got in trouble because they ordered a filet of fish. (gasps) And they smeared the tartar sauce (gasps) all over the wall. (laughs) It wasn't me, I swear. I would never order a filet of fish. (laughs) You know, I've had a pretty good filet of fish in my day. I could, people love them, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, I was Googling pictures of them this weekend while we were harassing Dylan about did anyone remember, had anyone ever heard of McDonald's? <laughs> and let me tell you, there's some really so gross cute. pictures of them on the internet. They're not, they don't have a lot of plating value. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, why isn't anybody ever mm-hmm. bragging about their filet fish on Instagram? Kim, that oh, could be gosh. you. That could be you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the things that make us nostalgic are more universal meaning that we share this nostalgia with many more people because so many of us were exposed to these things at the same time in a way that many other generations have not been and thanks to social media it's easier to find others all over the world who share your memories and love of that character or toy or filet fish Before the mid-70s, toy makers were really focused on innovation, right? What would the next big invention be in the realm of toys or adjacent technology? And so many toys that we take for granted as sort of classic toys were actually huge technological leaps at the time they emerged. Like, for example, the Slinky. Man, the Slinky is so boring. I don't know why people buy Slinkies, but they do... If you have a different opinion of the Slinky, please tell me. But we always would just tangle ours up. If you have a staircase, they can be kind of fun. They can be kind of fun. But my brother would always, like, hit me with the Slinky. Honestly, your brother is just, he just (laughs) abuses toys. It's just, he doesn't, that's, there's clearly a reason why you would hate a Slinky. (laughs) Maybe. I I, I just can reveal the way a Slinky feels when it's being sprung at you and hits you in the arm. It's terrible. I know. I know. Guys, put money in our tip jar so I can go to therapy for Slinky. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. And I don't want to go to Slinky therapy. Anyway, the Slinky was accidentally invented by mechanical engineer Richard James while trying to create a spring to hold, and I don't know what any of the next few words I'm about to say mean when they're said together, shipboard marine torsion meters. 
it was he was trying to design a spring that would hold them steady. Um, but then it, I guess it like walked downstairs or something, and he was like, "Whoa, sold." Could could <laughs> kids be interested in a spring that walks downstairs? And the answer was yes. Yes, <laughs> I know a hot toy. For mm-hmm. generations, right? I and think you know the there was the commercials and the songs that went yeah, together. Yeah, it was like it, it like dun, 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 it goes downstairs. It's, yes, your just, brother hits you with it. It's Slinky, <laughs> something like that. Your brother. Yeah, I mean Slinky was the like. Mm-hmm. Who would have thought? Okay, another one is the Viewmaster. When that was invented in 1939, you that's like the red thing, and you put the wheel of pictures in it, you would like click with the orange handle. Everybody had one of those too. It was a major Mm -hmm. leap forward in photographic technology. And in fact, the US government purchased millions of special Viewmaster reels and used them to train servicemen on how to spot planes and boats within shooting range. It's like so weird. And then who could forget Hungry Hungry Hippos? The latest in hippo technology. No, yes, not really. It was excellent. But it was an excellent game. The entire concept of a game like that was the craziest thing anyone had ever heard. And it was actually imported from a Japanese inventor in 1978. So one thing I'm going to tell you is a lot of the toys we grew up with we have been living with for a really long time. But also, at that point in the 50s and 60s and 70s, it was all about like, we got to invent new toys. What's going to come next? It was all about new technology, new toys. What will be the next hit? People weren't really thinking like, what's the next step after the Slinky? What's the next step after the Viewmaster, right? Like, how do we take this hungry, hungry hippo's concept and adapt it for a new generation no it was like okay we gotta walk away from hungry hungry hippos we'll keep making it but what's next what's next right so there were a lot of toys that were flops for sure too but it was just all about invention invention but then in the late 70s uh toy makers were like wow we really are like running out of things to invent how could we ever top a spring that walks downstairs (laughs) (laughs) Let's focus on how the things we already make can continue to sell in a big way. And that meant shifting into licensing and focusing on toys and other categories of products that were based on movies, cartoons, and other characters and properties. So suddenly, every toy is really kind of the same thing, but it's based on a different character, right? So in the last episode, I quoted Jeremy Padawar, who is the chief brand officer at toy company Jazzwares. Jazz- 1Z. 1Z. 1Z, okay. Jazzwares is cashing in on a lot of brands and toys that adults are loving right now, including Pokemon, Squishmallows. If you don't know what a Squishmallow is, don't worry. You're going to know by the end of this episode. And Star Wars. So I would consider him an expert in the world of making money off of adults. He told CNBC, in 1977, Star Wars launches, and you started seeing a lot more licensed product at retail, where we were celebrating our fandom with toys and collectibles. And it's true. You could buy just about Star Wars anything at that point beyond toys, Halloween costumes, Bedding and home decor, towels, lunchboxes, glasses, pajamas, you name it. And in the last episode, I talked about how Gen X was 
buying these things on the secondhand market, right, to remember their childhood, Star Wars was a major part of that. All I shared a bunch of images with Kim of Star Wars things that existed out there for children at that time. And I so remember different friends buying these and having them around, like my older friends who were cooler, right? They would have a Star Wars lunchbox or they would have found one Star Wars sheet that they remembered from childhood and <laughs> use it as a curtain, right? Mm-hmm. There were Star Wars pajamas for the whole family, tote bags, belts, wallets, underroos. Kim, how would yep. you like some R2-D2 yep. underroos? <laughs> I had a Wonder Woman. Me too. One- <laughs> Me too. And for- hand-me-downs, of course. Of course. Of course. I mean, you're the you're the youngest, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. You get that you get the hand-me-down underroos. Well, it had it had to start with the cousins and oh. then get, go go through my sisters till I finally <laughs> got of age to wear. <laughs> You never forget. Yes. So if you don't know what underoos were, uh, first off, they were highly coveted. They were Mm -hmm. just an underwear and an undershirt. Yes. With with some sort of licensed character on them. So we had underoos. We had glassware. I mean, we had I remember these glasses. Me too. Me too. Very, very vividly. Basically, kids of this era were seeing Star Wars in every realm of their lives, even... If it wasn't of interest to them, it was just, it's true. It was just there. It was a key component of so many memories. Like seeing an item from this time could spark a lot of nostalgia, potentially motivating them to buy something similar now, or even just to rewatch the movies, which would be very comforting. It could also intensify the relationship to Star Wars and lead to buying something new right now. Like a baby Yoda plushie? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Or a t-shirt. I bet you could go to Hot Topic right now and get one. Mm -hmm. The success of Star Wars really changed the nature of the toy industry as companies began to see how the value of these licensed properties was so much bigger than just a regular toy, even innovative-ass slinky, right? Because... You could expand into other non-toy categories. How do you make slinky underoos? <laughs> that's, that's or true. slinky slinky bedding, uh, slinky yeah. sneakers. Like no, you don't, right? No. But Star Wars. Oh my god! And we saw that pick up momentum in the eighties, where, as I mentioned in the last episode, in the eighties, corporate America. Cor- capitalism as a whole was like man we're gonna get so good at making money off of children like you're not even gonna believe it we're gonna give kids a free personal pan pizza in exchange for reading books so that their family will come in and spend 40 bucks seriously yeah what the fuck buy buy the uh, you know the pizza hut glasses that go along exactly exactly so we saw this pick up momentum when you could buy rainbow bright bedding i know i had sheets that was it but they were beloved Mm -hmm. barbie pajamas Wonder Woman underoos, Punky oh, Brewster, Punky Brewster sneakers, mm-hmm. which I owned, gem makeup, and just literally, you could buy anything that was strawberry shortcake. Name I it. Know. We had some. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had. I had like strawberry shortcake stickers and pajamas and socks and curtains and tchotchkes. I remember having Cabbage Patch Kids toothpaste. Whoa, it was gross. 
It tastes yeah. like bubble gum. That, that's I, not what I know I'm the flavor. For. I know yeah, the flavor. You know. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a strawberry shortcake bike, which I have the picture in here of what it looked like. Oh, I see it. Probably my most beloved pers- uh, mm-hmm. possession for a really long time. Unfortunately, because I was such a small child and such a late bloomer, I was able to ride that until middle school. <laughs> and I didn't care because I was like, no, this is cares? cool. This is a good look. Um, things, like I said, got a little bit more insidious in the toy industry in the 1980s. And it all began with cartoons. Kim, did you did you watch the Saturday morning cartoons? Of course. Of course we all did, right? Mm-hmm. Once again, people who lived in all of these different places, we can all sit down and reminisce about the Saturday morning cartoons and have conversations and learn more about one another and really build relationships based on this four-hour window of commercials. Yes, <laughs> right, exactly. When I talk to people about the things that they are most nostalgic about from their childhood, childhoods, whether it was food like Gushers or Kool-Aid, Dunkaroos, fruit roll-ups, or specific toys, or those the more you know PSAs, or even songs from commercials, it all goes back to the cartoons we watched and the commercials we saw. Like, Kim, do you have any specific cartoon advertisement memories? Oh, that's a good question. I mean... I remember, for example, that game, Mall Madness. Yeah, Mall Madness. Looked so good in the commercials. My friend Jessica got it. I think it was like really expensive. And it was so boring. We were all distraught over how disappointing it was. <laughs> yeah, because they made it sound so fun. They made it sound so fun, right? All those toys look so great. Or like the Barbies that you could get where you could like change the color of their hair. They ended up being disappointing. Um I think Lunchables had oh, yeah. some ads, and then I remember those those the great white shark and like the sharks, um, uh, gummy. Oh yeah, things. Oh my gosh, my brother loved those. You're not going to be surprised so, to hear that. No, and like yeah, like lots of candy and stuff like fruit that. by the foot, mm-hmm. fruit by the foot. Um, yeah, I mean I can like close my eyes and picture those commercials or like the Kool Aid Man bursting through the wall. You know what about that? What about remember those like. They were like these, these like juice drinks, but they were in the sh- they were in this shape, this plastic shaped thing. Oh, like the barrel? And you, tr- and you tr- no, no, oh. they were more advanced, and you twisted this oh. little thing off the top. I mean, I can picture them. Yeah, they weren't called squeezers, those. right? They were something like that. Something like, like that. that. Anyway, yeah, I re- like all of those things, and everything was gross, right? But like, we yeah, had to it's have all it. Pure sugar. Yeah, pure habit. Pure sugar. So the reality. Is, and this is not going to surprise you at all, is that kids have always had a hard time distinguishing ads from actual content. And I'll say for myself, while I watched all those cartoons, I remember the ads way more than the cartoons. Yes. Well, because they were on repeat. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Constant. Exactly. Oh, cereal. Oh, my gosh. So much cereal. Lucky Charms. Lucky yes. Charms. <laughs> or how about... How about there was a commercial for Fruity Pebbles where Barney and Fred are like rapping and they're like, I love Fruity Pebbles and I'm here to stay or something like that. Yes, 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 Anyway, I mean, like, these are the things I remember. Can I tell you a plot line from the Smurfs? Probably not. never. Right? Um, There was a study released by the FTC, which is the Federal Trade Commission. That's the agency here in the U.S. tasked with regulating children's content on television. 
Well, the FTC in 1978 stated that television advertising did indeed mislead many of its younger viewers. They found it very difficult to differentiate between reality and fantasy. And many toddlers viewed the commercial basically as the same thing as the show. Um, The FTC study showed a few things that were really important, that many children have difficulty differentiating commercials from programming, um, that they show little understanding that the purpose of commercials is to create product demand, which is true, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but Mm -hmm. it worked. It was very effective. And that children will put indiscriminate trust in commercials. So particularly if they don't understand that commercials are there to sell you something. And I remember seeing something on TV and wanting it. And my mom being like, it's just a commercial. You know, like it's not, you don't need it, right? My brother would like every commercial break, he would see something that he wanted and go find my mom and tell her, (gasps) you know? And when we would go to the grocery store, it was like, overwhelming for him because he would just be seeing everywhere things that he had seen on TV, right? Capri Sun and Sunny Delight Mm -hmm. and Kool-Aid and Soda Mm -hmm. and Gushers and, you know, all of these things. Granola bars, remember Kudos? Like, all of these things, right? I still love Kudos. They're not a granola bar. (laughs) But I'll tell you... That's true. They're definitely not a granola bar, Amanda. One thing that, like, Saturday morning cartoons convinced me that I needed were Nutrigrain bars, and those are nasty. <laughs> yes. They're so they dry. Are. Yeah. But, like, it was weird. Like, okay, so we, when we would go to the grocery store with my mom, we were each allowed to pick out one treat thing, right? My brother would always go for fruit snacks of some port, that, some, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At some of some sort. It was always, like, his favorite. And I, I remember getting Nutrigrain bars and being like, wow, these kind of suck, but I'm going to eat them anyway because the commercial <laughs> said they're good. And yeah, that's where exactly. it should have ended, but the commercial had me so persuaded that Nutrigrain bars were good that I probably got them five more times. <laughs> you know? Yes. Or like, I know some people really love toaster strudel, but it was disappointing for me. And yet I would still be like, oh yeah, toaster strudel, that's fun. You can draw pictures with the icing. Mm-hmm. But then you would get the icing and you really couldn't draw a picture with you it. Couldn't. You no, couldn't. No, it would just be a blob. But the commercial showed it. And so you believed it. You just right? like weren't capable of... Of of wielding that little packet. You just couldn't. It, like, I'm not a pastry chef. You know? I'm like eight. Um, but like Hot Pockets, there's another one, right? Mm-hmm. There were all, it was just all the meals were being addressed by Saturday morning cartoons, you know? If you want to call them meals. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Um, Dustin and I always talk about like what a wild time it was when we were kids. It like, was. You could eat anything you wanted and kids were driving cars and we were home alone <laughs> and running around and, you know, just everything was, it's a miracle we're all still here. So the FTC after this study is like, yeah, it seems like it's really important to protect children from advertising and it seems like everyone agreed. So, you know, there was a lot of legislation passed that helped empower them to protect children from commercials. But then in the 1980s, the Reagan administration changed everything. And the thing about the Reagan administration, among many things, is that business growth and economic growth was like the number one priority over all other things. And like that was like Ronald Reagan's big platform. And that was what really determined just about every decision that his administration made. Wow. So good guy. Good guy. Yeah. That's how could this go wrong? So 
he and his administration felt that not being able to sell stuff to kids via television was really standing in the way of business growth. So every regulation around children's programming and advertising was just like obliterated. It was like, come on. What are other ways we can make money off of kids? I know <laughs> we'll give them a free personal pan pizza <laughs> for reading. Let's not let's not say ten books. It's too many. Let's make it lower. Three books or whatever it was. Right. So right, everyone right. can get one, right? And I'm sure there were a million other things that we're not even aware of that were like ensnaring us as children into like our parents ha- having to go shopping or take us to a restaurant, <laughs> That's right? True. The McDonald's birthday parties, or how about how some people would on Halloween give out the little coupons for a free French fry at McDonald's? Well, <gasps> oh my gosh, I forgot right? about well, that. Or it'd be like a dollar. It'd be like a dollar at McDonald's. And then your poor parents are like, well, now we all got to get dinner here at McDonald's. <laughs> we can get just a free $1, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like there were just so many things like that. So what happens is, Toy makers are like, oh, my God, what if we start making cartoons based on toys? Right. Before that, they couldn't do that. There was a situation. I want to say it was in the early 70s, late 60s, where Hot Wheels, which we know of as like little toy cars, right? Like Matchbox cars, which are another brand. um, There was a Hot Wheels cartoon and the FTC was like, no. Conflict of interest. Right. And they were like, No. Yes, it shares the same name as the toy. And yes, we are the toy company making this cartoon. But Hot Wheels is about an auto appreciation club or something. <laughs> and they just they, they got so much pushback that eventually they like walked away from the program because they were like, it's just not worth it. But now it was like, yeah, make all the all the cartoons you want that are basically like commercials. Open. Yeah. So by around 1983, more than 40 shows based on toy lines, flooded the airwaves. The cartoons were created, what? 40 I mean, 40 shows. So these cartoons were so transparently 30-minute commercials for toys with commercial breaks about other toys and sometimes commercial breaks with the same toy that was being featured in the cartoon. Oh, my gosh. Toy companies actually had oh. so much success with this that they began to work cartoon production into their budgets because it was a key marketing expense, right? Ultimately, many of these properties became the best-selling toys of the 80s. And when I tell you the list, you're going to be like, oh, my God. Some of these toys are still popular. Some of them have been made into movies. They've been rebooted. They've been turned into a sexy version. Other toys, you know, fell off pretty fast. Not everyone was successful. But some of them are. He-Man, She-Ra, Gem and the Holograms. Care Bears, My Little Pony, Transformers, Rainbow Bright. I could go on and Wait, on. I, I actually had no idea that a toy came before these. Yeah, yeah. Or they were developed in tandem. But in many in, situations, oh, the toy came first. Very, very tricky. early before. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, wow. I know, I know. Basically, so I mean, and I'm going to just tell you as a kid, I'm looking at it like this was shocking to me as an adult to learn because I'm like, oh, they made a, a cartoon of My Little Pony because it's such a good toy, right? You're like, that just proves that's the best toy. No, it's like not. It was like, 
how do we sell more of My Little Pony? We make a show about it. And it worked on all of us. Mm-hmm. So basically, this created an entire generation that has all of these licensed properties as the backdrop of their memories. Once again, it's something we can all talk about. From the cartoons, to the theme songs, to the toys, to the other stuff that in the commercials, they're baked into everything we remember. We are attached to these characters and shows. And even if we were kind of meh about the Care Bears back then, if we see something related to it now, whether it's candy, a magnet, even just a pen, we're more likely to buy it because it makes us feel good. It feels more important than it should be. And because we share these memories with so many other people, because these products and these cartoons and these commercials and kind of these memories Mm -hmm. were essentially mass produced, it's easy to find others thanks to social media who share those fond memories. Never before was there a generation who knew Everyone knew what a personal pan pizza tasted like. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Like, because also we had big chains, right? You can make friends and build entire communities around this nostalgia. You can make all the Pizza Hut memes you want and meet other people who are like, oh, my God, I remember that, too. Why did they always have those weird noodles on the salad bar? Right? Like, everybody knows. So going back to Jeremy Padawar again, once again, he is he, he works at Jazzwares with one Z. He said regarding all of that Star Wars merch that kind of started it at all, he said at the time the intended recipient was almost all kids, but those children that were born in the 70s and 80s were really the first generation that had this much licensing and this much product that was available for them to demonstrably attach themselves to. And it's not a big surprise then that these kids are in their 30s and 40s and they continue to demonstrate that. And it was probably pretty likely also that they didn't get a lot of it. They didn't get everything they wanted right. when they were kids. Oh, you know, Put a pin in was... that idea because we're going to oh, come back okay, to okay, it. Okay, yeah, okay, no, okay, but that's, okay, a bi- okay. that's a big part of it because all of our parents were really mean and didn't let us have the things we wanted. <laughs> true. Right? No, totally. Um, so I, for example, am a major fan of Hello Kitty. I even have a tattoo. Kim knows. Yes. And my love of Hello Kitty really stems from my own nostalgia for what Hello Kitty meant to me as a kid. Now, of course, Hello Kitty is a mass-produced thing. People buy Hello Kitty stuff all over the world. It is a product. It is not an experience, a person from my life. Even it's not even like a book I read, right? It's a product. But I have a Hello Kitty tattoo and I have all this emotion wrapped up in it. And that's because I had cancer as a small child, which meant I spent a lot of time in the hospital. And hospital gift shops back then tended to have a little corner. It was like a little few shelves on a little metal rack of Sanrio stuff. So like small gifts, like stickers, stationary pencils, the kinds of things you would give to a child who was in the hospital. Because otherwise, it was flowers and weird things for ladies and <laughs> magazines that were boring <laughs> mm-hmm. as a kid. Um, and, you know, like maybe some stuffed animals that were maybe too babyish, right? So I would often receive these little Sanrio things as gifts from visitors. So Hello Kitty. That's so memorable. It is of really course. memorable, right? It makes so much sense that it was like the one little spot yes yes and so hello kitty represented a shining light like something fun 
in an otherwise pretty miserable time because if I got some new Hello Kitty tchotchke, it meant someone came to visit me. And that is like when you're living in the hospital like that, like when when your aunt or your grandma or your cousins come to see you, it's like a really big deal. It's like the high point of your day because being in the hospital is really boring and miserable, right? It's like not fun. How long were you in the hospital? I mean, it was just a few year period where I would be there for maybe a week and then I would go home and Uh, then I would come back. And when I was in active treatment, it's like I couldn't stay away from the hospital. Like I would get sick as soon as I left and they'd bring me back. So I had friends there. You know, there were a lot of other sick kids that I was friends with. And, you know, my grandmother loves to tell stories of how they would come to see me and they couldn't find me because I'd be like hanging out in the nurse station, getting my nails painted or something. You know, I was like always friends with the adults at the hospital. Um, but like Hello Kitty like represents like, I don't know, it it's like almost mm-hmm. out of my control the way it flips a little switch in my brain, which it does for so many people. I love that. Right. And it's as so I grew sweet. older, I carried that affection for Hello Kitty with me. So Sanrio, the parent company of Hello Kitty, has definitely built a business off of selling to people of all ages for years now. We're looking at three, maybe even four generations. And when I rode the Hello Kitty Shinkansen, which is the bullet train, in Japan a few years ago, yes, I planned my trip specifically so I could ride that train. The train was filled with generations of women, grandmothers, mothers, daughters, some other free range adults like me, Dustin. And we, except for Dustin, Dustin. (laughs) we were all giddy and teary eyed. I mean, like I saw everybody was taking pictures, people were wiping tears from their eyes, hugging. It was like this really big moment to be on that train. And you know what it did? It got us to go up to the front two cars of the train where there was a shop where you could buy really dry cookies that had pictures of Hello Kitty on them. You could buy cute pins and gifts. You could buy fancy tea that was Hello Kitty tea and hang out up there, right? And like be a part of this. You know, it was funny because the moment the train left the station, all the seats were empty except for like, Fathers, grandfathers, Dustin, mm-hmm. and everyone else was at the front of the train <laughs> going oh. to the shop and taking pictures and drinking tea and all this stuff. It was just so amazing. But it was that emotional connection to Hello Kitty and that generational nostalgia that made people spend a lot of money. It's really I mean, smart. It's built on years and years of business being in operation. That's the kind of you know, brand equity, you cannot buy. Yeah, you can't. It takes time and just touching on something Mm -hmm. that like really resonates with people emotionally. Like I'm not going to travel across the world to go on the fruit by the foot train. Right. You're not, you're not going to travel in the Beanie Babies barnyard, you know, hayride or whatever. Should we invent this? Do you think people would? No, I think people have a lot of dark feelings about yeah. Beanie Baby, actually, because it was kind of a bust experience. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a really good example. So, according to a 2014 study by the Journal of Consumer Research, we are more likely to spend money when we feel nostalgic. There is something about nostalgia that makes people feel less like they need to hold on to their money. It's very odd. 
And according to the study, quote, that is amazing. It's amazing, right? According to the study, quote, we found that when people have higher levels of social connectedness and feel that their wants and needs can be achieved through the help of others, their ability to prioritize and keep control of their money becomes less pressing. So when you meet other people who are like, oh, my God, I love Dunkaroos, too. You're more likely <laughs> yeah. to go buy some Dunkaroos. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I feel this way about f- most food. You know, <laughs> yeah. like maybe it's, I, I don't even think it's a nostalgia, but it's, I'm like, you know what? Food is worth it. It is worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, this study also implied, and I think this is really interesting thinking about where we are this year, that leaning into nostalgia during a recession can get reluctant customers to spend some money. So what that says to me is that if these toy companies who are selling to the adults can really continue to hone in on that, they're probably going to have a pretty decent year, no matter mm-hmm. what else is happening with the economy. It's like fascinating. McDonald's, are you listening? Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut, I think you need to bring back. Bring the back Book It. Book, bring book back it for adults. Book it for adults. I will read three books this <laughs> month or like, whatever. All you need is like an app on your phone. <laughs> right, right. I would go, can you imagine? <laughs> oh my gosh. They would blow up. They would I think blow that they up. They would literally blow up. Pizza Hut, are you listening? Pizza Hut. Come on, get on it. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to talk about some of those brands that are having major success with adults because this is all really, like once I started digging into this, it was just so fascinating to me and the different ways that companies have sort of stumbled upon this nobody saw it coming i'll tell you that it just kind of happened so the first one is legos legos has its own adult section on the website i know it's not dildos or boobs that you can build (laughs) out of legos although they should consider it features cars optimus prime van gogh paintings orchids and so many other incredible building sets all of their ones that are like plant or flower related are beautiful, beautiful beautiful It reminds me of like, you know, um, model trains, but like in a much more like millennial vibe. Totally, totally. And these sets are not cheap. Like the smallest sets start at $50. And we're talking hundreds, hundreds of dollars. We we took a stroll down the Lego aisle at Target last week. um, And they, you know, Target has wisely bought into these adult Lego sets, like one whole side of the aisle was for adults. They come in like black boxes. The packaging is a little bit more premium, probably to give you a more like unboxing experience. And there were like model cars and stuff there that you could build out of Legos that were like two, $300. Oh my, in the kids section? In the kids section. Because I guess like where else are they going to put it? Yeah, yeah. So put it. Yeah. Man, they're going to need to start getting the adult section. I know. Quite honestly. Target, like, that's, if you're listening. That would be the smart thing. Exactly. That would be the smart thing to do. Target so is smart. the kid alt section. You know, I was there and uh like I told you I went to And it was boring. Target. Yeah. And it was the worst. Um and I actually went, saw this cool thing. It was a Legos. I was like, what is this? And it was like these like little half moons that you can put on top of your Legos that create this beautiful design on the face of the Lego. I was like, whoa. <laughs> that is phenomenal. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. An extra it's, 20 bucks. Here you go. Just I add. know. I know. And I noticed recently, we, you know, when we went to Ikea to get lunch, yeah. dinner, yeah. <laughs> uh, that there was because we have to walk through all of the showroom, even though like, I don't, I don't know why there's something about fake rooms that I'm obsessed with. Put it on the list of weird things that entertain yeah. me. Um, yeah. I noticed that they had a lot more furniture pieces that are definitely designed to hold things like this like glass Mm. cabinets with shelves oh my gosh it's like instead of your weird porcelain like um your franklin mint farmer kids or whatever yeah it's it's your it's your kid adult it's your legos or whatever yeah yeah so the company began legos the company began releasing these 18 plus sets in 2020 and they just kind of were testing it they had about 20 sets for the introduction and they have seen sales to adults increase more than 400 percent oh my god i know Today, the company offers 100 adult sets and 20% of total company sales are adults buying for themselves. And I wow. seriously, it's like, it's, it's, they look like a puzzle and it's just like, it's like yeah. a 3D puzzle. That is so cool. It's so cool. I like, seriously, if you're poo-pooing this idea, go just look at the Legos adult section, which we will link to at the department.world because I was shocked by what I saw. You know, I thought it was just going to be cars and robots or something. And like all the plants. I mean, I'm not going to get into this. I have no free time. But if I did, like (laughs) I would want to put together all these uh, plant and flower Legos because they're really cool. Okay. So next one is the one that I don't think is going to surprise you at all, Kim, which is American Girl. Oh, yes. So I used to have an American Girl doll and... Um, American Girl is from um, right outside of Madison, Wisconsin. Gosh, was, is Wisconsin I, the most perfect state? It kind no. <laughs> we got definitely American not. Girl and Swiss <laughs> Colony and Kim and me. Oh, I mean, shop I live up, in, shop up. Well, so um, I, you know, I went to school at the University of Wisconsin Madison for textile and apparel design, and one of my fashion design teachers also designed um, the apparel for the the American Girl. Oh styles. my god. What a dream job. Right? Okay. So I'm not surprised to see this brand. Oh, by the way, Kim, which American girl do you have? Was it Kirsten? Molly. Oh, my God. Mm-mm. I. You know what? Not surprised. Because she had glasses. Yes. And I, and I had glasses. <laughs> okay. You know, birds of a feather flock together. Every mm-hmm. single one of my friends who I've talked to who had an American girl doll, I did not have one, but all my friends who did, I, I say, which one do you have? Molly. Why? Because she had glasses. She had glasses. Gla- we glasses people, we stick together. Okay, so exactly. So I am not surprised to see this brand on the list of companies thriving in the era of adulting, thanks to all of the American Girl meme accounts on Instagram. I oh was, my God, that exists? I had no oh idea. My, actually, if we had not taken a hiatus, we definitely would have done an episode about this because I was like down a rabbit hole about it last year. Wow. Um, and they're all like woke political American Girl dolls. It's hilarious. Um, I also think that the introduction of Courtney, who is a new 80s American girl, and she has an American girl. She has an acid wash skirt, a Walkman. She loves video games. She is definitely part of pandering to adults for sure. And of course, she's white. Of course. Very, very white. Very, very white, blue-eyed, blonde-haired. Mm-hmm. The brand has seen such an influx of millennials and Zoomers buying dolls and 
visiting the American Girl stores and hanging out in the restaurants that the company has begun expanding its menus to appeal to more mature (laughs) palates. And it has added alcohol to the menu. Look, it's a cop salad. I know. Okay, so let's talk about the more mature menu. I, you know, they got the classics for kids, chicken tenders, mac and cheese, bow tie pasta, perfect pizza. But then, Cobbs, how much do you, how much do you think that that pizza is not perfect? <laughs> well, you can get pepperoni <laughs> or cheese. Yeah, I know. It's totally like what you get at like a movie. Um, but then they have this adult food, grilled chicken cob salad, roasted beets and goat cheese salad, market fish and tomato ragu. That does not sound good. It doesn't to me either. But you know, like if I were a kid, I would be like, I am not eating market fish. <laughs> right. Uh, they have a classic club avocado sandwich. They have a burger. I mean, like this is pretty wild. Mm. Right. Well, burger is 1500 calories. Well, it, it com- sounds fascinating. It comes on a toasted pretzel bun. Okay, uh, and okay. it comes with your choice of French fries or sweet potato fries. And you can add a fried egg by request. It's got a lot going on. It's got pepper jack cheese, bacon, tomato jam, and special (laughs) sauce. Actually, I'm kind of like getting hungry for this American Girl Burger. Anyway, (laughs) also they have a full wine list. There are at least 50 wines on the list, but they also have cocktails like a house-made margarita, an Aperol spritz, rosé martini, and Bloody Marys. I mean, what? I think it's actually just rose martini with because it has a rose oh, rim oh my god you're right oh that's just elegant. so you guys know vodka elegant control housemade sour cranberry juice with a fresh lemon peel and rose rim oh my god okay so listen i was thinking so well i mean after you go to ikea i think you need to swing by the american <laughs> girls restaurant for a nightcap i had this vision a couple days ago that my ideal weekend right now is to go to New York. Let me know if you want to go. And I want to stay in the Pan Am Hotel, which looks really Mm. cool. It's Of course, it's near the airport, though. That's the drawback. And then I want to go to the American Girl restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) Wait. Where are the American Girls cafes? Are there? Is it only in New York? No, there are other places. But you know, I was like, "What a what a weekend that would be!" Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, there are other locations. <laughs> I think there might be one here. I'm gonna look right now because now I need to know. There might be one in Texas because this feels like something that would be in Dallas or Houston. And imagine if I could just like go there, American oh Girl store. Let's look. Um, Houston. But does the American Girl Houston have booze? <laughs> right. You know, there's they have them in L.A. There's one in Century City. Oh, what's the menu like? Okay, I'm looking. I'm, I'm, oh, gosh. This, oh, Cafe Hours. There's also one in Dallas. But Dallas, like, no offense to anyone who lives in Dallas, but Dallas kind of sucks. Hey, you know what? Actually, okay, first of all, the dining opens in 2023 for this, um, uh, for the American Girl in Century City. But um, Dallas actually is pretty fun if you know where to go. Oh, it's really? Hip. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I, can gi- I can give you some pointers. For when I go up there for American uh-huh. Girl dinner, it uh-huh. seems like the American Girl store in Houston does not have a restaurant, which is just devastating. Um, oh. But the one in Dallas 
does, and I'm just gonna like check out the menu here real quick because we need to know. Okay, okay. Poor Dustin. I'm like, guess what? We're gonna go to <laughs> poor Dustin. Guess what we're doing this weekend or some? Okay, here view the menus. Um. Well, they do have a slightly different menu that includes an avocado chicken BLT salad. Um, but, oh, wow, they have some crazy desserts. But I'm not seeing booze on the menu, which is just, mm-hmm. re- I mean, once again, I guess I got to go to New York this big yeah. weekend. Anyway, so, yeah, this is like a big thing. And last February, the New York Times published an article called Dolls and Drinks for Likes and Clicks. The American Girl Cafe has become an unlikely party spot for influencers and their imitators. I'm going to tell you, and this has nothing to do with the writer. It's a totally well-written piece. The article is kind of annoying because... It focuses on some really annoying influencers spending their day there and taking really posed photos and like <laughs> saying things that I know they probably rehearsed 20 times before they said it. But then the article gets good towards the end. The writer, Shane O'Neill, begins to explore the idea that pretty much underscores all of this cadulting. And it's something I told you to put a pin in, Kim, which is that we buy ourselves these things as adults because we couldn't have them as kids. Yes. An American girl and all of its expensive trappings is no exception. In fact, it's kind of the most ideal example. So this is from the article. I'm going to read it to you. The whole thing. I'm, it's a journey, okay? So the writer spies a group of six adults with no children at another table. And he's probably like, oh, should we put them on a list? Are these like pedophiles? <laughs> but no, he talks to them. And they said, you know, they were visiting from Austin, Texas to celebrate Timothy Flitton's 33rd birthday. They were inspired to have their birthday party at the American Girl Cafe after seeing influencers hanging out there. They ordered mimosas and uh, Timothy, whose birthday it was, said, we're living our millennial fantasy. His friend Kaylin agreed. Their friend Ms. Howard, who was 32, said they were too expensive when I was a child and now we can afford it should we Uh want it. She didn't want it, but she said she appreciated the gratis loaners that were given for each meal. So if you go to one of these restaurants and you don't have the doll, don't worry, they will loan you one so you're not lonely, I guess. It reminds me of a restaurant I went to (laughs) in Kyoto that was a Hello Kitty cafe. And one of the like perks of eating there is that when they served your meal they brought a huge life-size hello kitty to sit with you it's like a stuffed animal Mm -hmm. um i have many photos of that because we've gone multiple times now they went out of business but what a perk you know i mean i i remember when i was growing up there was a a, i might have told you this before but there was a uh a hotel in uh kind of by minneapolis Mm -hmm. it's called the anderson hotel and you got a cat with your room what these (laughs) these cats were miserable i bet but you know, we didn't have any pet any pets besides the hamsters growing up, so we were so psyched to have this cat, <laughs> and we just like t- tormented the cat. It just wanted to leave at all times. But imagine, I'm sad for a professional cat. You know. Oh. Well, this is the best part of the whole article, actually. A server emerged from the kitchen carrying a birthday cake shaped like a giant petit four. Timothy and petite foie. Petite foie. <laughs> The kidding. whole party erupted in applause. The cheers died down as the waiter walked past the table. The cake was for someone seated behind them who was celebrating her ninth birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and I just like, I just, I laughed. Anyway, so 
And then I stumbled across another piece called I Bought an American Girl Doll at Age 34 and Here's What Happened, written by Shani Silver in 2019. I really enjoyed reading it because it once again underscored how the independence of being an adult can mean being able to give yourself something you've always wanted. And I think that's just another key component to this cadulting trend. Silver writes, there's something about childhood that never leaves you. I think there are certain things and experiences that build the scaffolding of who you'll become later in life. And not having a Molly doll left more of a mark than I was comfortable admitting for a long time. Because her absence was a symbol of a lot more, a symbol that I didn't believe I was worthy of, not just nice things, but anything I ever wanted. So in my early 30s, I started to address the childhood moments that left me feeling sad, angry, and simply less than. I decided it was time for Molly to be mine. And anyway, the next paragraph is really emotional, but I'm going to jump in and say that I have for quite a few months been watching uh Kirsten dolls on eBay for the same reason. Like I always wanted one so badly. And my mom was like, if you get one, you're not going to take care of it. You like, basically it was just, what do you mean to take care of it? I have no idea. I mean, I did give most of my Barbie dolls failed bangs, but I'm not going to cut Kirsten's hair into bangs because she already has them. It seems like it makes sense to me. Um, Anyway, going back into this essay, there are a few moments as gratifying as holding a Molly doll for the first time after a childhood of being told you can't have one. And she was finally something I got to have. I don't care what age she came into my life. To have something you've held in high regard from a place of innocence and imagination is a beautiful thing. It was a triumph, an acknowledgement that I deserve nice things and a confidence that only comes from buying them for myself. Holding my Molly doll felt like I was closing a loop in time and satisfying the kind of desire you only have as a kid. My inner child and I were happy, were together and happy for the first time in a long time that day. We got along just fine. I mean, that sounds like basically a therapy session. I was just going to say that. I think also we are finally in the last few years having a lot of conversations about abuse and neglect that a lot of us experienced as children not everybody and not even maybe a majority but these these kinds of conversations which you and i talked about before have been stigmatized for a long time and really gen x is responsible for bringing them up first we've seen a huge evolution in there you know one of my favorite things to do to unwind every night is go onto (laughs) reddit and read the subreddit am i an am i the asshole have you ever looked at this no, I have Honestly, not. Kim, I would love to do a whole episode where all I do is oh read Am I the Asshole to Me? <laughs> and you tell me if that person is the asshole or not. Because these oh stories are fascinating. Sometimes they make me laugh. Like there was one where this guy, he did this post about how like, you know, my whole family says I need to stop wearing this hat. And they said if I don't stop wearing this hat that I can't come to Christmas. And someone came to my dad at work and said, I saw your son around town wearing that hat. Like, what's the deal? And he kept going on and on about it. And people were like, what is up with your family? You should be able to wear any hat you want. And then someone said, hey, could you tell us what the hat is? What is the it hat? Was, so they finally shared the link. And it's one of those like umbrella hats. <laughs> you know, like, this stuff is so fascinating to me. Anyway, 
<laughs> what is really gratifying to me about reading these is that people now see, they recognize and call out different types of abuse or just unfair behavior, especially from parents, but also from romantic partners, friends, bosses, all kinds of things that I think they call it out as second nature. Like that's obviously wrong. But even as you talked about, like even in early in our careers, like if your boss screamed at you or touched your butt, you were kind of like, I'm out of luck because that's how the world is. But now like people say like, no, that's not okay. I mean, it never was okay. It took us a long time to be able to say that out loud. And I do think that a lot of people are realizing like, I did deserve a Molly doll, you know? So I kind of love this for people, you know? Yeah, I do too. Um, Okay, so the next one are Squishmallows. Now, are you familiar with Squishmallows? Never heard of them. Okay. uh, They're kind of everywhere, Kim. You're going to see them everywhere you go now. Well, you don't go to a lot of places. They don't have them at... They don't have them at tax. Right. right. Are they are they at the restaurants? They're not at the restaurant. I don't think yeah. But maybe like if you went to like a like mm-hmm. I could see if the pepper mill put in a gift shop. <laughs> okay. So, so the only places that go are tax and the pepper mill. Um, by the way, and tax is true. like one of my favorite places in LA. It's Another the best. place that you should definitely check out. Uh, g- get the French onion soup. <laughs> um and they make good martinis too. I know you probably drink wine That's there, ex- right? You're kind of a wino. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I do. Yeah. I do, do drink the wine. Um there. okay. So squishmallows are stuffed animals. Um, it's really hard for me to imagine you owning one of these. I would be really shocked. I would say, Oh, oh, did you Neil get into a fight and he went to Walgreens <laughs> and tried to get something to make it up to you? Because Neil, if you get into a fight with Kim and you're going to Walgreens to get something to cheer her up, what she really wants is a box of those like Whitman's, like a Whitman sampler. No, <laughs> yuck. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, maybe like a like powdered collagen supplement. <laughs> you know, like what is the one vital? Just get me, get me something salty. Get her, okay, there you go, Neil. If you're listening, don't get a Squishmallow. Mm-hmm. Don't get the Whitman sampler. Um. Okay, well, these are stuffed animals that are shaped roughly like marshmallows, and they are made by Jazzwares with one Z, one Z Jazzwares, and more than crushing crushing it, it, more than one hundred million units of them have been sold. I try not to think about this too hard because I worry about one hundred million squishmallows ending up in a landfill. I recently learned that more than 65% of Squishmallows, once again, these are stuffed animals, are purchased by adults for themselves. Wow. And it turns out that there is an incredibly intense community for them online with groups on every social media platform. Posts tagged hashtag Squishmallows have been viewed more than four billion times on TikTok. Wow. Yeah. Um, and this is really about collecting, right? Many Squishmallow fans say that the plush helps with their anxiety. But there is also a Beanie Babies-like collectability factor with rare styles fetching as much as $1,000 on the resale market. 
They are available in so many places, Kim. There's a chain called Five Below that really focuses on the tween market and everything there costs $5 or less. Right. That's a big thing Mm -hmm. for them. Uh, Drugstore chains have them. You can go to Costco and they have huge ones that are like the size of like a six-year-old child. Whoa. Um, They are everywhere. And Squishmallows also has its own direct-to-consumer site. In fact, I would say that the distribution of Squishmallows is way bigger than the distribution of Beanie Babies was at its peak. But because they are sort of scattered all over the place, it's kind of a scavenger hunt to find them. So we, you know, in my day job, I work for a chain of gift shops and we get a lot of customer requests for them. So we went to market, we went up to the Squishmallow booth And we said, hey, we'd like to buy Squishmallows. Like, let's talk about it. And they were kind of like, well, here's the deal. Uh, You don't get to choose what you're going to get. You just get what we send you. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, no. (laughs) Uh, But we were like, okay, we're going to place one order. We have no idea what it is until it's going to arrive. And they arrived and they were all soccer themed um basically we got whatever was left at the end of the bottom of the barrel i guess and we were like oh man how are we going to sell these they are so uncute like we wanted the sanrio ones or the ones that are shaped like cute food or even even could you give us some shape like animals no we've got soccer players (laughs) and i'm gonna tell you they sold out in like three weeks I don't know how, but I was like, we can never do this again. It's way too stressful. (laughs) Uh, You know what's really funny? Um, Have you heard of Jelly Cat? Yes. Okay, so we've been trying to get Jelly Cat, but Jelly Cat is like not opening any new wholesale accounts. That is, and that is a kid alt uh, stuffed animal. Totally. It's very high quality. And I've worked with multiple showrooms that have carried uh, Jelly Cat, and they're, they're the most profitable, highest volume brand that they have in their showrooms their wholesale showrooms yeah jelly cat it's like the most voracious product category yeah it's crazy it's crazy this the plush it's wild and it's pretty Mm -hmm, pretty profitable so despite squishmallows helping so many people with their anxiety the online community for fans can get a little unpleasant oh no um and I mean, we we've, we've seen, seen this. this. I mean, this is Beanie B- Babies Part Two, and I'm no mm-hmm. no shade to Squishmallows, but like everything I was reading, I was like, oh man, this is like similar. If McDonald's does a Happy Meal with Squishmallows, the world's going to implode on itself. Oh, but they my should. So McDonald's, God. if you're listening, do an adult Happy Meal <laughs> with Squishmallows. I like how I like how we just assume that people from the corporate office of all these fast food uh, restaurants would yeah, ever listen to. Uh, you know, we did all this consumer insight research, and like a big <laughs> chunk of our listeners are specifically corporate employees from fast food chains. Right, as if uh-huh. Taco Bell. If you're listening, <laughs> please bring back the naked chicken taco. Thank you. Okay. Anyway, so. The community gets pretty wild. I found this article from a blog called Input, and it was called Squishmallows are Adorable, but their online fandom has a dark side. It was written by Jessica Lucas. Once again, we'll link to this in the show notes. It lays out some particularly disturbing behaviors that remind me way too much of the Beanie Baby era, but with social media added in. So 
most Squishmallows, except for the humongous ones that they have at Costco, retail for $20 or less. But this perceived rarity, because like even though they're everywhere, not every style is everywhere. And so it's sort of like a scavenger hunt. Oh my God, it is like being I know. Babies. And it's led... And the other thing is they don't keep making the same ones, right? It's like a drop and done, just like Beanie Babies. Mm -hmm. So this has sort of led to this phenomenon that people online are calling shelf clearers, which are people who wake up really early, go to a store, and buy all of the popular Squishmallows, or as their community calls them, Squish. Then, just like the toys from the McDonald's Happy Meal and so many other things that have come before or after... They resell them at double or triple or even more the ticket price. Now, what maybe makes this different than the Beanie Baby era, where literally people were encouraged to buy Beanie Babies as an investment, (laughs) right? And there were like (laughs) magazines that you could buy Mm -hmm. that would show you how to invest, you know, what purchases you should make to increase your investment in Beanie Babies and know the current market price. Squishmallows is not like that. People are like not cool with this. The collective disgust with shelf clearers has led to doxing of suspected culprits. Like literally people saying, here's a video of someone I saw today at Walmart clearing a shelf of Squishmallows. And then other people look at the video, share it until someone is like, oh, I know that person. It's blah, blah, blah. And here's their Instagram account. And here's where they live. Whoa. This would have definitely happened in the era of Beanie Babies, for sure, right? Um, a collector named Tabitha told Input, quote, people are so scared now that they make up stories about how they got a squish, pretending they got it from a cousin or something just to avoid the backlash. There's all kinds of other stuff. People saying foul language to each other, blowing people up, bullying one another, Doing committing fraud where they say they bought a Squishmallow and it never came and they get their money back, but they really got it. I wonder what the overlap of Squishmallow uh, collectors is to Beanie Baby collectors. Like maybe they're adults now, but they collected Beanie Babies when they were kids. That wouldn't surprise or me. Or they were adults mm. when they collected Beanie Babies and they're still adults and, and they're, they're collecting Squishmallows now. And this is why there's so much trauma that's associated with this collection? Maybe. I mean, you know, the other thing that is really important to call out here, especially for all of our listeners who are unfamiliar with Squishmallows, is that Beanie Babies were pretty small. So you could buy a lot of them and maybe just have them in like a basket, right? Squishmallows are like three times the size of a Beanie Baby. Really? Or more. Yes. Really? So they're that they're big? They're that big. And so anytime you see what? like a collection of them, it's like a whole wall. And then you count and there's like 30. I mean, it's it's interest. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with these. Also, like the ones at Costco are huge, and then there are smaller ones you can get in blind boxes. I mean, there's like a whole spectrum. They just keep expanding. I mean, Jazzwares with one Z is making like all the money right now. I mean, this is cute. This one I'm looking at on Target. It's a Loch Ness monster. That's pretty cute. So that's kind of. Are cute. you getting into this? No, but I just think, <laughs> like you know, I I. They're kind of cute. cute. You know, I get it. I get it. I don't need it, but I think it's cute. Oh, there's a strawberry Uh-oh, shortcake. Look who's into it. Anyway, go Uh-oh. read the article for more details. You can find it at the department.worlds. But this whole thing reminds me so much of Beanie Babies. And I'm really interested in seeing what other people think about this. So the next one is one I'm just going to start by saying I hate these. 
Funko Pops. Are you familiar with these, Kim? No. Uh-uh. I don't know what bothers me so much about them. Maybe because they're, they're just like these solid plastic figurines. Oh, yeah. Ick. Yeah. Um, but they're like not the size of like a G.I. Joe or even a He-Man. They're bigger than that. Over 10 million units have been sold Whoa. over the last three years. What do you do with you them? You just hoard them. <laughs> like, I don't think they even Ch- like... Future garbage? Basically, like, they don't even give you, like, that nice snuggle feeling of a Squishmallow. Mm. The average age of a Funko Pop customer is 36 years old. 36, 36. Wow. And you can find Funko all over the place. Drug stores, big box stores, Hot Topic, toy stores, etc. The characters are primarily licensed, with the company owning more than 150 licenses to make these vinyl you know characters. What, they look like? what do they look like? They look like NFTs. They look like physical Whoa, plastic NFTs. I think you're onto something there. You uh-huh. know, I read their Glassdoor reviews because <laughs> you know oh, that's no, who I am. And like the Glassdoor reviews for our Funko Pops are bad. For I guess the company is just called Funko. Like I was, they were like, "This is not a fun place to work." <laughs> Gosh, that's really devastating. Really devastating because it looks like it would be fun, right? Mm-hmm. So this company is blowing up so much and this idea of cadulting is expanding so much that former Disney CEO Bob Iger was part of a group of investors that dropped $263 million <gasps> for a 25% stake in Funko. Basically what we're saying is that Funko is is valued at more than a billion dollars. This is unbelievable so there are these like collectible characters that are based on characters that you know from the stage and yeah. screen yeah essentially and they have like big heads but yeah like a little bit distorted yeah, it's it looks so like. so odd it's like skeletor and that guy from monsters inc and there's like, probably okay, a minion so weird yeah. There's like a Mick, there's a Mickey Mouse in there. Yeah, there's probably a is definitely. It's all a about like cashing in on all these different fandoms. And the nostalgia. There's like a He-Man in here and like a um yeah, there's a bunch of like nostalgic. Like Star characters. Wars, you name it. So yeah, these uh-huh. figurines are less about play and more about collectability. And there's a certain level of that like beanie babies thinking at play here, with people assuming that they will appreciate and value. It's hard to say because there's so many of them. I just don't know. I mean, with 10 million of them being sold over three years, I, I think this that, that statistic has major Beanie Babies vibes to it because mm-hmm. basically Beanie Babies ended up not being value, valuable because they made too many. And this seems like a similar thing. So if you were planning to fund your retirement with Funko Pops, maybe think again. Okay, so the last one I want to talk about, and I told you, or actually, no, I have two more. This next one I talked about way early in in last episode, and that is Mattel, and specifically their own adult-focused line called Mattel Creations. Now, it's important to call out here, before I forget, that Mattel owns American Girl. So they have been aware that adults are buying toys for themselves, right? In 2020, they launched Mattel Creations, a subsidiary of the company that partners with celebrities and fashion designers to create limited edition toys that sell at a very steep price. 
they did a Gucci collab with Hot Wheels. What? That sold out no. online in less than a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's a Cadillac. I had no yeah. idea. Uh, Mattel is predicting triple digit growth for Mattel creations over the next few years. And they, I mean, I'm like, I, I get it. I looked at the Barbie selection, for example. They have this Bob Mackie Barbie that's $150. And she's cool as shit, right? They have all of these little people sets that are based on different nostalgic television shows. Like they have Seinfeld little people. And then they have these extremely just so detailed, so cool looking monster ink dolls that are like couture, you know. Um, And so I, I see like this stuff is I mean, I don't know if I would buy Seinfeld little people. But, like, the Barbies and the dolls and stuff, or even the Gucci Cadillac Hot Wheels, is, like, way cooler than Funko Pops, right? It's, like, interesting. Um, Mattel is predicting triple-digit growth for Mattel creations over the next few years. Mattel president and CEO Richard Dixon told Time magazine, The adult form of play is really about collectability and display. It's conversational. It's art. It's levity, it's joy, it's fun. And when you look at the world right now, we need lightheartedness. So what they're doing is they're taking all of their big properties that would remind us of our childhoods and updating them into these more adult, in many cases, artistic versions. It's pretty smart, too, and it seems like they drop them in much smaller quantities. And you can just go to Ikea and get your display case. Hashtag Ikea. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. The last one I'm going to tell you about is one that I did not see coming. And it's been haunting me across the internet and haunting my dreams. And it's Build Bear Workshop. <laughs> I'm assuming, Kim, you have not been to a Build Bear Workshop, right? No. Um, I have. No. Because, of course, when Dylan was like four, five, six, this was like the thing. Yeah. The thing. And of course. There were many times we had to go in there, and I was like, please. Please, I'm not a religious person, but please, God, let me spend less than $100 in here because it's the stuffed animal is the easy part. Then you got to get all the clothes and accessories. And you're like, well, of course your rabbit needs a cheerleading uniform and a suitcase. And <laughs> yeah, and wow. so suddenly you're like $100 later, right? Um, they did, I don't know if they still do this, but they would do this cute thing where they would have the kid do a little dance with the heart before they put it in. And they get to watch it get stuffed. And it's a pretty cool experience, actually. You know, it's no getting hammered at the American Girl restaurant, but like what is? So Build-A-Bear Workshop said, you know, we're going to get on this cadulting trend. And to be fair, it is smart of them because kids who were getting Build-A-Bear in the early aughts are adults now, right? Yeah, so exactly. So Build-A-Bear launched its 18-plus section. It's only on its website. It's called The Bear Cave. And don't worry, we're going to link to it in the show notes so you can go check it out for yourself. And, you know, rather than explaining to you what they have to offer, Kim, I thought I would just show you the pictures I know, and they are so chuggy. Oh, my God. It's hilarious. Part of their big Valentine's Day collection uh, is a rabbit in a robe and fake marabou slippers with a bottle of spray whipped cream, 
a chocolate dipped strawberry and then a bra and panty set with strawberries on it. And saying <laughs> chocolate saying dipped strawberries out loud uh-huh. makes me feel nauseous. <laughs> um, they also have. I'm sorry, this they should not have done this. It's totally their attempt at doing Hugh Hefner as a lion, um, drinking champagne, wearing the silk robe and some silk pajama pants. And Aww. I don't know, Kim, if you've watched Secrets of Playboy. Um, no. We watched the whole series recently, and it's really disturbing. So they might want to pull this. Where? What is it on? Um, that's a good question. It might be like on Hulu or something. I don't know. I'll let you know. Mm, it's intense. Like- it's intense. Yeah, okay. I feel like I, I need an American up. Girl doll to cancel it out, basically. Um, how about a, another like sexy bear in some heart print pajamas and slippers with a seltzer, a boozy seltzer? Or let's get ch- chuggier. Ch- yeah. Chuggy, and yeah. Uh-huh. How about a rabbit with a t-shirt that says, it's wine o'clock somewhere <laughs> with a bottle of wine and a, a glass or here for the margs. That's the dog. <laughs> or I what's this one I have mixed drinks about oh feelings. my god with a sel- boozy seltzer in his hand that's a bunny yep. with a mm-hmm. drinking problem uh, <laughs> I would love I mean I have so many questions that I'm here for the margs dog is following me around the internet <laughs> Every time I can be served an ad anywhere on social media, on blogs, research I'm doing, doesn't matter. Here for the Margs dog is there with me too. <laughs> um, and it's, if you were wondering, the Here for the Margs tea is pink with lime green trim. It's a ringer tea. It's nice vintage inspired. <laughs> um, and, you know, the dog does have a plush margarita in its hand. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I. Hey guys, I feel like everybody needs to um, uh, to put in a tip into our tip jar so we can get Amanda. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I am not here for the marks. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but if you really want to just like I don't know, get off to a bad start with me. Say you want a marg. Or you love a Marg. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? I know what you're talking about. I'm trying to get you to say the whole word. You still want to talk about exactly. it. Um, so I guess it's like, will this cadulting trend continue? I, I think yes, for a lot of reasons. What do you think, Kim? Oh, 100%. I definitely think this is just going to keep going. I and mean, clearly, <laughs> if sales are increasing substantially and they're flat everywhere else except for you know, the inflation prices, this is a massive trend that I think people are going to continue right. to dip into. And, you know, I want to say I'm here for the Margs. He's like 50 bucks or something. That's a lot of money. That is not our Barbie doll, oh, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, if you're listening to this and you or someone you love works for Build-A-Bear Corporate, please get in touch because I have questions. Uh, <laughs> I thought I was going to go see, and I mean, I don't know what I was thinking. I thought I was going to see like a really cool leather daddy bear or something and i was like that would be good (laughs) yeah like a biker bear okay well as i mentioned way back in the beginning gen x and millennials are redefining what age and adulthood means we have changed our habits around socialization and these toy related communities are a big part of that and i'll also just add that boomers have been collecting trains and sports cards for years. So I don't think nostalgic collecting is anything new. 
We're just collecting what we grew up with, which are toys and personal pan pizzas and fruit by the foot, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? I'm going to end this with a quote from someone that we began our story with way back in the first half of this conversation, uh, Julie Lennett of NPD Group. She said, I think once adults have rediscovered their love of toys, that love doesn't go away. So, Kim, I have one final question for you. Well, okay, first off. Sure. Who's here for the Margs? Um, (laughs) And... Amanda's here for the Um, Margs. Secondly, like, what other categories do you think this is going to extend into? So we see it happening with food. Obviously, it's happening with literal toys. But do you think, for example, in a few months, I'm going to be able to go buy, like, a queen-size bamboo yeah that's like strawberry shortcake you know that's hilarious i hope so i mean i'd love to see not just like tv shows but i love like believe me i've already brought this up but i want to see like um you know like the uh the saturday the saturday uh, morning cartoon i guess oh no this no i guess it's the sunday cartoons that you get in the in the newspaper (laughs) so wait you're basically you're back on your kathy reboot (laughs) uh, yeah it's gonna be kathy but but you know what i really want to see is uh kelvin and and i want to see i don't know if you remember jim jim which was hilarious or uh the far side Mm -hmm. like where's that stuff what is that coming back seriously i remember in around seven grade thinking that like if you could appreciate far side humor yeah you were like oh the really sophisticated yeah (laughs) bring back far side or like i mean i don't know if i really want for better and worse merch because those they seem to just be really struggling as a family yeah Um, there's some that 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 could definitely go we don't need to see them come back but like i'm here for the kathy reboot you know when i was editing that episode i was <laughs> laughing to myself so hard about it and like casting it in my mind mm. um i even thought maybe christina ricci i don't oh, know anyway. there could be so many good people that could yeah, be kathy. yeah yeah totally you know dustin and i are obsessed with like when we're just driving or hanging out you know we're we're joking around all the time that's how we live our lives coming up with new dark it always has to be a dark reboot of something oh. from our childhood like one we talked about at length is dark reboot of love boat Ooh. and the the twist like a is that everybody yeah the twist that you find out at the end is that everyone's dead it's like a haunted <laughs> ship yeah that's really cool i mean i would love to see all of these things come about as a dark reboot <laughs> like an adult adult reboot would be amazing what about a dark reboot of here for the marg's dog and he's like <laughs> yeah he's, he's secretly um oh gosh what was that t- what was that movie uh weekend at bernie's he's like secretly <laughs> bernie he's kind of dead <laughs> Or but what pretending if you, to be alive. Do you remember that movie, Nicholas? I believe it was a Nicholas Cage movie called like, oh my God, what was it? He was like really drunk. He was an alcoholic and he was in Las Vegas. Oh, and, leaving Las Vegas? Yeah. Wow, what a clever <laughs> name for a movie about a guy in Vegas. Okay, what about a leaving Las Vegas type yes. film starring Here for the Marg's Dog? <laughs> and and they, they just eat at the pepper mill? Um, hey, listen. Hey. Do not they be smirched. Marks at the pepper mill. I've never had one there. They got but they do. I mean, they have quite they have, a cocktail they have tiki menu. Drinks. They've got cocktail servers that walk around in gowns. Yes. You know, on my birthday there, I did get 
a blue drink. Ooh. <laughs> it was intense. Um, yeah. This is like, this Good podcast choice. is not sponsored by the Pepper Mill. <laughs> but if the Pepper Mill would like to sponsor this podcast, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now, we accept. <laughs> They have really great napkins. Oh, anyway, they we can really go on do. and on. They yeah. do. With like the little like um tropical pattern. Oh. And all of their uh all their booths are like um these like round booths. There's yes. no like real chairs or tables. It's all it's great. It's great. And there's all these fake trees in there, yeah, like it's everywhere. Gorgeous. It's like you're in a forest. Gorgeous. Just gorgeous. gorgeous. <laughs> just gorgeous. Any- <laughs> anyway, just gorgeous. Okay. Well. Thank you, everyone, for joining for this us for this series. Can't wait to hear what all of you think about it. Um, if you have Here for the Marks dog, send us a selfie with it. And we'll be back next week with some new trends and other conversations about the pepper mill. Bye. Bye. Bye.